0: Listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Last week we spoke a fair amount about this idea of um, presence how we carry this teaching with us through us in the world I spoke of a comment that I heard on the news from one of the people running for president of the United States and the comment was that freedom essentially requires religion and religion requires freedom and while I think there, there may be some really neat things to explore in that space if we're not careful it can become a major trap that freedom is the unattached space and religion is fertile for attachment and those two things make for war as opposed to peace if we're not careful and I meant to make sure that that was really specific in relationship to the way that we meet the world. We meet the world, our interior, our practice. One of the most important things that we can do as practitioners is make sure we remember the Filipino saying that uh, whenever you point the finger at someone, you've got three pointing back at you. So the minute we start labeling another, we are negating ourselves in the process. And This can get very confusing. Where does this leave us? How then do we meet this world in a compassionate way? How, uh, you know, isn't it important to, as I said last week, call a spade a spade? Of course. Of course it is. But if you can't do it, or I can't do it with total presence, then we're creating damage. And by total presence, I mean that we recognize the wisdom of the fact that we are all one. Every single human being is a reflection of us. Every single thing is a reflection of us equally. And in that wise space there is this spontaneous expression of that wisdom through our actions and that's called compassion. Compassion is a deep recognition that we're all in this together. We're all in this together and that our activity reflects that all-in-this-togetherness So when we sit, we endeavor to allow the stillness in the simple act of sitting to let the stillness fill our experience. Let the stillness blanket us from the inside out. Let the stillness in from the outside and let it just bubble through our experience. Language gets in the way here. I'm going to freely admit that. Stillness is allowing, it's allowing, a profound allowing of what is to be and studying that studying what is not studying to understand but being totally alert being alert being totally alert is being totally still so kind of a shortcut kind of a helper I mentioned this a great deal but that which watches the breath that which can in other words notice the breath as an object notice there's my breath there's my inhale there. can you allow the language of that observer instead of saying there's my breath to say, inhale, exhale. That subject that recognizes the breath as object, that subject that recognizes inhale, exhale, right? That noticer is something we can employ continually in our experience. This witnessing awareness, this simple presence can carry us through just about anything once we give it attention, we give it, if you will, muscle. We work it out. That's essentially what we do when we sit. We work the witness out so that we can witness our experience. It becomes this supreme subject recognizing all objects that float through it Okay, It is never caught by any of those objects that float through it. It just is. It is aware. It is our true nature. And we rest there. So in meditation tonight, let's see if we can just give that space, give that attention, give that witness, that observer, that seer, whatever you want to call it, give it primacy in our entire experience give it all that you got and when you recognize that there is thinking going on the observer the observer will notice oh thinking when the observer notices discomfort it says oh discomfort it doesn't say oh oh Discomfort. I hate that. Man, this sucks. When's he going to ring the bell? Okay? <laughs> I mean, that may happen. And boy, trust me, I, I've been through that too. Um, <laughs> but that voice is not the observer, that voice is the ego that thinks it's observing. The ego judges, the observer observes the judgment. You ever hear that? The ego judges. The observer recognizes, observes, sees the judgment. The observer is bigger than the ego. Okay? So, whatever happens, whatever happens in your experience, it's a memory, it's a judgment or a plan most likely and if you can think of anything outside of that dang let me know a memory a judgment or a plan the observer is the one that can recognize that give it your attention work it out we will spiritually be pumping iron as we sit enjoy every minute of it Someone right in this week, <laughs> and the uh, the woman said, "This is so goddamn hard." <laughs> uh, and I think it was the the goddamn part that cracked me up. It was goddamn hard. It, yes, it is. This is very hard stillness you know in the midst of all the busy in the midst of all the busy how do you uncover stillness and you know, oh gosh you know I still find that I'm suffering and uh, you know uh, it was quite a neat it was quite a neat uh, note and I felt very humbled and flattered that this this very eloquent woman was just really kind of letting it all hang out there and then basically her question at the end of the letter was so now what and it's exactly right so now what what we face as human beings especially in the west is this amazing quandary <coughs> and that is how do we bring this home the awakening's easy it's how do you bring it home that gets to be so difficult And I got news for you. I'm on the path just like you are. Okay? I'm on the path. I mean, I may be a little ahead on the path just because I've, you know, been doing this perhaps a little bit longer or I've, you know, been goosed in just the right way by some great teachers, great experiences, you know, whatever. that, That, you know, so project all you want, but basically just know I'm on this just like you. I'm on this path just like you. That said, coming down the mountain so in other words we, we start our spiritual search by climbing up the mountain and increasingly this rarefied air begins to force us to let go of the stuff that we don't need it forces us to face uh, some people use this term I, I, I freak out usually when I use it but truth we get to a point where we start to uncover truth. Now, the reason why I don't like using that term is because most people will immediately go, Tru- okay, so truth, meaning your truth, or his or her truth, or my truth. Come on, you know. There's no such thing as truth. Well, the truth that I think is being pointed to with this particular word is the truth that is beyond all those truths. It's beyond Scripture, dogma, name and form it's the truth that is availed to us as we uncover stillness within and we let it meet the stillness that is without boom it shows up it shows up as an experience but that experience itself is not truth it's a pointer to what is true don't even try to get your head around that one it's not important just It's when the the stillness within meets the stillness on the outside. As that stillness begins to resonate, it really sends out shockwaves within this thing we call the self-system, crumbling all the structures that are totally unnecessary. And we awaken to a truth that is beyond name and form. And there are a lot of people who have spoken about this and written about this so beautifully. I'm not even going to try to describe it. Besides, that just then becomes more more stuff for people to grasp. The point I'm trying to make is this. This can be very hard work for people in this culture. There is a cultural thing we have going on that I think can get in our way. And I'm saying this as somebody who has traveled to the East and noticed that the, uh, uh, you know, at least in, in my experience in Thailand, my experience in Japan, my experience in China, certainly my experience in Nepal has shown me, at least, you know, from what I can tell, that it's a little bit easier to become a renunciate. It's a little easier to become a monk. It's a little bit easier to get yourself to a nunnery. In those places, to use Shakespeare, get thee to a nunnery, guys <laughs> and gals. How do we do this here? I mean, if you think about it, what does this idea of nunnery or convent or uh, you know uh, monastery or you know you pick pick your cloister? What does it allow for in these other cultures? It allows for intense studying, it turns up the heat rather automatically and we are forced into a situation where we must let go of stuff. What are we trying to do here in this very room? We're trying to do exactly that in the midst of all of our stuff. In the midst of a season that tries to generate demand in us where none really needs to exist. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? I was just talking to uh, a friend about how, um, you know, when catalogs show up and you know you don't need anything, but oh, what the hell, I'll just take a look, and next thing you know, this is really goddamn hard. I want that espresso machine I, I, I need it I could even fit it in that pre- <laughs> you start to, I mean okay fine go ahead get the espresso maker great but is it needed or is it just a craving that has arisen the craving is the source of our suffering It's where suffering begins, in that craving. And this is hard. This is hard for us. Maybe you're really good at not wanting. Maybe you're really good at having a relationship with your wanting that makes it kind of an open experience. That's great. That's definitely, definitely a marvelous approach. It's definitely, definitely on the path. Back to this back to this letter that this woman wrote, so much of it was about how she is seeking wholeness and healing, and uh, you know that uh, she she just wants to be happy and and gosh I, I so agree, okay, but as I kind of yell about so much, this work is not about healing. Anything that's broken. It's not what this work is about. Authentic spiritual practice is really about recognizing, understanding, appreciating suffering and then getting on the other side of it I'll say that again it's about recognizing understanding and appreciating suffering and then getting on the other side of it that's what the Buddha said he said he taught one one thing and that was suffering and the end of suffering that's it and so we learn about our suffering. We learn about the stuff that's really, really hard, really goddamn hard. Okay? And in the process of uncovering that for us, we start to develop some tools. We start recognizing that, by golly, this isn't about feeling good within my body it's about more than that. This isn't about finding some type of mental peace. It's about more than that. Paradoxically, your physical body will m- miraculously become more whole in your experience, and your mental life will miraculously become more at peace as your practice matures but for us to assume that Buddhism is just another way for us to feel good oh gosh, meditation makes me feel so good, I feel so calm I feel—I just have all these great feelings when I meditate great, it's awesome and you're ready to get down to business Fe- great I'm, I'm so psyched For you guys, that's awesome. You're feeling good. That's good. Okay? But that's not what the practice is about. The practice is about being intimate with that feeling good and developing that intimacy, developing that observing presence, developing that witness that also then strengthens strengthens itself enough to when you don't feel so good, that you still have that presence, that there's still a baseline of equanimity, a baseline of peace, even in the midst of non-peace. Similarly, as our mind is chattering, oh man, I just feel, my thoughts are so much more pure, you know my whatever the hell that means. Uh, you know, every, everything seems to be so much easier, you know. I no longer want to bite my husband's head off when he does that stupid thing, when his teeth click, when he chews. I, you know, everything's so much better, you know. Great. Now you am really ready to get down to business, get down to the brass tacks. It's about more than that. It's about more than just developing uh, uh, peace with your uh, neurotic tendencies it's more than what Freud was after it's more than what Freud was after it's not about developing a kind of a peaceful deal with your mind it's about developing the presence that allows for the mind to be in any state in any capacity and yet you still have this equanimity or equanimity kind of surrounding it and this is when we bring the practice home this is when we start to recognize that what's really goddamn hard is not that we are westerners, that we are householders rather than monks and nuns, trying to do this. I mean, all that is so true. But what we begin to realize coming down this mountain is that what's really hard is not letting go. What's really hard is living the way we've been doing it for so long. And you'll never taste that. I'll never taste that. None of us will ever taste that unless we allow for the stillness that is within to meet the stillness that is naturally occurring without continually, continually. So, this leads me then to my kind of final point tonight. And that is as we watch this holiday season ensue for all of us, as we watch it kind of build and, you know, burgeon, you know, and kind of take over. Can you find peace within the middle of it? Can you allow for it to happen? Can you allow for all those things about it that you love? to be there in absolute fullness? Can you allow for all those things about it that you can't stand to be there in their fullness and be at peace with all of it? That's the work. Otherwise, what we're doing is really, really superficial. This is just, it's, what we're doing is we're just, you know, putting window dressing on everything, and, and that's, that's really not ultimately where we want to go. Where we want to go is recognize our suffering and then see, feel, taste, hear. Watch the end of suffering unfold within us continually. The end of suffering means that we're no longer held by our pain, no longer held by our anger, by any of our negativity, nor are we pinned to any type of identity or any type of feeling we're no longer craving more of that happiness more of that love more we're at peace in the middle of all of it whatever is showing up whatever loss is there we're at peace whatever gain is there we're at peace and this can show up with you're going to hate hearing me say this with structure it requires structure a scaffolding and how you allow for that structure to reveal itself how you allow for that space Wherein you can practice that container that I sometimes think of it almost as, as a bowl where you can allow for this bowl to arise in your experience and you allow your practice to fill it. Okay. And then spill over the edges. It becomes a critical, critical thing. Okay. Now, egos hate hearing this sometimes and sometimes they love hearing it sometimes egos love that whole idea of lots of you know rigidity structure you know what time must have you know if you find that that's your tendency let your own spiritual alchemy dilute that a little bit soften that a little bit okay doesn't mean you're not allowed to have any kind of structure but it means look at that that could potentially be a hiding place for ego if it's something you crave after all, if it's something you crave, it generates suffering. And what's this work really about? Studying that so that we can get on the other side of it. If, on the other hand, you cannot stand structure, structure to you is, exact, hell no, I won't go. You know, if structure to you is in, is, is, takes on that, that flair, you could probably use a good dose of structure Let your own internal spiritual alchemy show up in that moment. Turn that base metal into gold by giving yourself a little bit of structure, a little more maybe. You get to decide what resonates with you. Wherever your resistance is, get right next to it. Don't push too hard. Don't avoid. Just get right next to it practice there always and what does that do that is exactly that is exactly what works out the spiritual musculature it's what allows for the scaffolding to kind of take shape a scaffolding that ultimately we can allow to fall but to get us up the mountain and then to be able to take the view from the top of that mountain back home requires a bit of this. At least that's the way I see it. And yeah, it's really goddamn hard. Give it a shot. We're all going to die. Every one of us. Sooner than we think, probably. Certainly sooner than we want, most likely. So knowing that Knowing that it's going to end, how is it that we want to live? Answering that question puts us right at the feet of something great within each of us. Uncover that, and then share it. Happy Holidays. few minutes for Q&A if you feel like uh, asking a question or two. Yeah.
1: You refer to the term uncover often. And in meditation I have a hard time finding I find myself looking for the stillness Uh, and they don't seem to go doesn't feel
0: like uncovering anything right because the thing that is looking is what's still if you're looking for stillness you're looking for stillness on the outside of what is still what is looking is what is still (laughs) yeah yeah, it's really goddamn hard, isn't it? I wish I had Shit.
1: <laughs> Could you, maybe what would help me just a little more? What is uncovering? <laughs> what is uncovering?
0: What is uncovering? Yeah. Exposing what's always already been. Releasing what has always already been. you are born from stars and everything in between it's always already been there the stillness has always already been there uncovering it is dusting off the lampshade bit by bit to allow the radiance of that light underneath to show through that's all we do in practice. The minute we sit, the minute we meditate, the minute we create that structure that is all we're doing is systematically dusting off the lampshade or wiping a window that's had years of mud and gunk and oil and dirt, just all that stuff on there. Just clean it. That's all we're doing when we meditate. And then what happens is we see that this whole thing is quite transparent and in that transparency, we see clearly. When we see clearly, wisdom arises. And when wisdom meets our body, we act compassionately. Buddhahood. And it's really goddamn hard not to do that. Or so they say. Does that make a little bit of sense? Enough to grasp till, uh
1: Enough to meditate
0: on. All right, good. Now let go of it.
1: let go and watch your
0: attachments yeah and then what that ends up looking like is wondering and questioning so the answer is really the question okay and the pursuit of that question comes from wonder and wonder is a released space ego, ego has nothing ego freaks out in wonder it wonders, and then when it gets an answer, it clings. And then when it clings, it diminishes the scope of the answer's gift. Okay? But if we can rest in wonder and rest in questioning, rest in the not knowing, we're no longer attached. We're no longer clinging. We're just watching the experience as it is. Yeah? And that's the practice, exactly. Exactly. So the practice is awakening. Yeah. Is that kind of... Really easy. <laughs> really easy. Oh. Yeah, really easy. It takes, uh, it takes nothing less than... I'm paraphrasing uh, Carl Jung and uh, C.S. Lewis here. It takes nothing less than everything that we have. Nothing less than everything that we have to let go of nothing less than everything that we have, can we do that skillfully? Boy, it's so hard for Westerners because we're in the midst of a culture and a society that's predicated on clinging. We even have a declaration of about our clinging to our independence. You know, politically. Politically, it's about position. Legally, it's about this. Now, having said, said this, boy that still offers up a place for us to do what we do very appreciative right. evolutionarily speaking it was a neat step I think we have more further to go we can do a lot with what we have where freedom is no longer predicated on religion and religion is no longer predicated on freedom unless religion means opening and usually religion means it says here, right? So we have all we need. We have all the tools that we need. Everything we need to practice with is right here all the time to help us uncover that which is always already here, always already available. Yeah. there's nothing you can do to change the negative events that transpired in the past and so you cling to your suffering you identify with it yeah that, that's the, that right there you just said it you spelled out actually the healing uh, and that is that the suffering that is experienced is, it occurs when we cling to an identification we have made with some past trauma or tragedy we actually build a whole identity around it you know it's something that uh, we cling to And so your question sounded to me like you said, how is it that you let go of this thing that you cling to? Well, you just let go of it. Just like a hot coal, burning ember. You don't don't hold the coal and go, okay, this sucks. You just, you drop it and then you go, okay, wow, (laughs) right? And the way we do that uh, is through practice, it's through stillness it's through visiting, revisiting you know, constantly constantly, now I happen to think that the practice is very good, this, when, I, when I use the term practice I mean a stillness you know, meditative uh, consistent consistent practice that is being guided not only you know, with your efforts but also by a teacher and a teaching you get to pick all of it Okay? Except the experience. All right? The experience gives you all you need, though, for awakening. So with the combination of your your sincerity, the teacher's integrity, and the teaching's authenticity, boy, I mean, you've got all the stuff that you need right there. Okay? For us, however, to be in a situation where we look at a past event and cling to it, all we're doing is perpetuating our suffering and the suffering of every single other person that we run into it inhibits our intimacy not just you know in in relationship into like love relationship intimacy but it hurts our ability to be intimate with the rest of humanity and ego loves this because it has a role alright and the Buddha taught for us to actually be aware of the ego and its role in generating the suffering and then how we can actually get on the other side of that. And we get on the other side of that by letting it go, by watching it, by observing it. The shortcut is the observer, is the witness. It's watching the experience instead of being perpetually pulled by it. And in that way we get we get to live life at the center of the hurricane. Rather than in the wall or out in the outlying winds, and or instead of being on the surface of this tumultuous sea, we actually live a deeper life. Okay, where we are no longer kicked around so much, but there's a steadiness, and then it no longer holds us. It's, it's, it no longer mysteriously keeps us from being all that we are, from standing at the feet of what is great and who we are. As I mentioned it actually serves this this literally an instrument of torture serves to awaken us to what's precisely beyond all that suffering
1: I understand, you know, most of this. Um, And when I'm meditating, I'm I get very caught up in that suffering and pulled.
0: Yeah. And pulled. And pulled. By your past suffering.
1: By the identity I've created around it. And in my head, Mm -hmm. something that doesn't even exist. It's just me. Mm -hmm. But I feel I am constantly coming back, you know, going, okay, come back. feel at war with myself it might be because I have an ego mm-hmm. so big you know, so powerful which I know is true
0: okay. can I, it, I stop you for like two the seconds
1: observer is fighting.
0: wait a minute tell me when you say I am at war with myself who is at war with whom the I or the myself and how would you distinguish the two I'm asking. I don't know. Okay. That space right there that not knowing is actually forever and always untouched by that division. The division between I am at war with myself, right? That war right there is ego making business for itself. You know how um <laughs> we have a friend who's an attorney who has worked out he's a lo- positively lovely man but he has worked out both sides of lawsuits before so he gets paid regardless right now he of course thinks this is the most creative thing in the world and you know is laughing all the way to the bank and the minute I question him on his ethics he makes some Stanford joke yeah, well that's why you went to Cal and I went to Stanford and then you know it's a really a silly yeah talk about a tangle Talk about karma, right? But that's exactly what ego loves. Ego is dying to keep you right in your... Just, well,
1: e- I know. Okay?
0: Okay. So what we do, the way we actually get on the other side of this, the way we get on the other side of that attorney that is working both sides of the lawsuit is by watching its activity. So the work in meditation becomes quite critical. You have to watch what's happening you have to watch this past not intellectualize oh yeah that's just past it's to watch it actually witness actually observe and what this does is this begins to create a disidentification with that past pain the more we actually hold the presence hold the literally the space is the minute that space can recognize itself through us and it takes work it's really hard. It is really hard. But it's not nearly as hard as going through the meat grinder time after time after time. Yet ego's going to want to keep you there. So the work really is about getting beyond ego's relationship with all this stuff. And the way we do that is to watch the suffering. It's the one Dharma, the one teaching. You study the suffering, and in the studying of the suffering, it no longer has this mystical grip on you. It actually lets go of itself through your experience.
1: Maybe I don't understand then what it means to watch.
0: That could very well be. It's not understanding, it's watching. and I'd be happy to talk about that in a Dokusan situation um, but we, this is what we do we carry our presence into whatever is showing up and if the nightmare is unfolding in our meditation we sit there without flinching and if it's really, really knocking us down therapists help out immeasurably as long as they're good alright and then spiritual work usually takes us beyond what the therapist does I know I'm gonna get phone calls for that comment.
1: <laughs>
0: you know? Gonna gonna have therapists all <laughs> what are you saying? But it's this is it's a very real thing. It's a very real thing. This practice is all about you watching your misery. And watching just that beatific bliss. Just keep doing that. Yeah, we talk about it. Okay. I look forward to it. I also really wanna wish and extend uh, happy holidays to all of you. Uh, Thank you so much for making this Sangha what it is. It's just such a a blessing to have your smiles and your eyes each and every single week. Uh, Surf's up around here at Infinite Smile. It seems like we have a lot of people showing up continually. Blessings.